This episode is sponsored by the Adoption Connection Village, a place where you can connect with other adoptive moms who get it and be surrounded with support so you know you're not alone. We are really excited about the village because adoptive and foster parenting really brings unique challenges to families and a lot of people around us don't understand. And so we need to be surrounded by people who get us. Yes, that isolation is really the breeding ground for shame and guilt. And, you know, both of us have been to these dark places. I mean, I don't think either of us could have anticipated what this journey would cost us in our relationships, sometimes even with friends and family. It's very hard for people to understand what we're going through. Absolutely. But we do get it. And we want to have a special place where we can really connect in a much deeper way, as close as we can to actually be in person. So obviously, we can't all gather around Lisa's Kitchen Island, but we have created something called virtual coffee chats. And these happen over video chat. And it's a whole group of us. And it's been really, really fun to see your faces, get to know your stories and connect with you from on a much deeper level. We do these coffee chats in the village three to four times a month. And we focus at least one of them a month on specifically the challenges of teens and young adults, because we have heard from you guys that that is a space that needs a little extra TLC and support. So the village is for you if you feel like you need more people in your life who understand you, you crave authentic and intimate community, and especially if you don't have Facebook or you want to limit your time there, so you don't want to be in a group maybe that's based on Facebook. And I think the thing that's so important is that, you know, we know you are pouring your hearts and your souls into your kids, and maybe nobody is pouring back into you, but we want to do that. Besides the coffee chats, we have a discussion forum that's kind of like a Facebook group on steroids that really helps connect you with topics that are relevant to your story and folks who are local to you. We also release monthly premium content such as deeper dives into what connected parenting really looks like in real life. And there's even a monthly Enneagram connection video where we help you better understand yourself and your family's dynamics. The Village really is your one-stop shop for personalized support. We want this to be accessible to as many parents as possible. So it's just $19.99 a month. You can find out more or get started at theadoptionconnection.com slash village. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Today is a Mentor Moments episode where we answer a listener question. These episodes give you a chance to join the conversation and guarantee we're providing the most helpful tools and resources for exactly where you are. This week's question is, how do you balance the needs of different children in your home? For example, I have four children very close in age, two foster and two bio. Even though they are close in chronological age, their needs are quite different. My foster children in particular have the needs of much younger children. How can I provide them what they need without causing more shame? They are old enough to notice that they have different rules, choices, and expectations than the other kids. I need to make sure my foster children have the structure they need to thrive and to make sure my bio children have the opportunity to grow in their independence. Well, first of all, we think this is a great question. And one that there aren't any really black and white answers for each family situation is going to be a little bit different. We really appreciate how the 
person who asked the question is concerned about shame, you know, about doing the best for everybody and really considering how that's perceived by each of the kids. So we thought we would just kind of go through kind of by broad age group and give some ideas and things that have worked for us. So starting just with younger kids, I think that this is a little bit easier for younger kids. And maybe because when we were raising younger kids, we used a lot of structure and, you know, there was a lot of, this is kind of the way it is. And we say life's not fair all the time and our kids hate us for it. I think the tool of using a compromise works really well in this situation. So for example, if one of your kids asks to do something that maybe is outside of the scope of privilege that you think they're ready to handle. And we'll just use maybe like a sleepover or a play date at someone's house where you're not quite sure they're ready to handle themselves outside of your direct supervision. You could offer a compromise. So kind of think about what they're going after, right? Maybe spending time with their friends and offer a compromise. Like, Hey, you know, I I can tell you really want to hang out with Jimmy, but let's just have him over to our house. Something like that. Yes. Another example would be um, sleepovers. You know, a lot of our kids are not ready for sleepovers. There's a a lot that can go wrong. And as a slightly protective mom, this is something I've dealt with for, well, for decades since I have so many kids and so many ages. But the compromise that I would offer on a sleepover is, how about you go and you have dinner and you're there all all through the evening and we'll pick you up at about 10 o'clock. And we've done that numerous times with different kids of ours. And then if the child really wants to be there when everybody wakes up, we take them back in the morning for breakfast. And that has worked. I wouldn't say that the kids have loved it. Although I do think some of my kids were kind of secretly relieved that was the decision we made, but it was a good compromise that allowed them to have the fun time with their friends, but also kept them safe from things that might put them particularly at risk or that they just might not be able to handle. Yeah. I think the other thing to kind of set the stage for the rest of the conversation as well is we could do everything quote unquote, right. In terms of offering compromises, being high structure, high nurture, considering how our kids are going to perceive our decision. And they may still throw a fit about it. They still might not be happy with the option and they may still feel shame or the sense of it's not fair. And so we just want to encourage you to keep the big picture in mind. And again, do the best that you can, but also know that if you know, your child still has to throw a fit about a boundary that it's not because you did anything wrong necessarily. And it's really important for us to validate how hard that must feel for them while still keeping the structure that you know is going to keep everyone safe in place. Absolutely. So another factor to consider here, and I think that our our listener is aware of this by the way she framed her question, but there's something called dismaturity. And dismaturity is when there is a difference between a child's chronological age and their developmental age. And we see that a lot with children who've experienced trauma, neglect, abuse, because while they're, they were, you know, time was passing and they're growing older, their brains may have been deeply impacted by what's happened in their lives. And so they may not be developmentally 10, even though their body is 10. Of course, this is something that we have to be really sensitive about because of the issues of shame, but we also have to be aware of it and think to ourselves, 
okay, my child is 12, and I think a 12-year-old should be able to do these things, but really my child is about seven, you know, in terms of development. And so the, I think that helps us partly in our expectations of what they're capable of, but it also helps us as a guideline for making the decisions of what we're going to, you know, the, the freedom and the rules we're going to have. And so then again, we have this tension when you've got, let's say you've got two children who are 12, but one is really developmentally much younger. That's where we have to be super, super sensitive. So Melissa, what are your thoughts on dismaturity and how to manage that in a family? I know that in our family, the concept of dismaturity was very abstract, which meant that our kids didn't really understand it. So we knew it in our heads. And from a science perspective and a neurobehavioral perspective, it makes a lot of sense. But that doesn't help our kids who want to be treated as their chronological age and not their developmental age. That doesn't really feel great, right? So I think it's really important to help set up objective things that our kids can get their minds around. And our therapists help us think through this. I'll use getting your license as an example. We had kids who, again, chronologically could go out and take driver's ed and drive. And that just scared scared us a lot, you know, to think about that happening. <laughs> and, and I thought, we're going to reach a point where our kids by birth are going to be ready to drive or start learning how to drive. I imagined that we would let them do that at, you know, 15 and 16, but I had these 15 and 16 year olds who had only been in the United States for, you know, a couple of months or a year wanting to learn how to drive. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, and at this point it's a safety thing, right? If we, if we put them on the road, like they could cause a lot of harm to somebody. So our therapist said, I want you to think about what the objective hurdles that you think a child should get over to get their license. and it has to be something that you're willing to use universally across all your kids. And then whoever jumps all the hurdles gets to get their license. And so we talked about it and we came up with that in order to drive in our house, you would need to pay for driver's ed and pay for the insurance, like being added to our insurance. Actually, I think we might've said that you had to have your own insurance, that we were going to make it a family policy that we weren't going to share the cars that my husband and I drove and we weren't going to share insurance policy because I felt like if the worst case scenario of driving, which was kind of my worst fear happened and it impacted, you know, either the cars that we were driving and we had to go carless for a while or uh, really impacted our insurance rates that I wasn't sure that I could handle that in a connected way. And so objectively that meant we wouldn't do it the way that I had done it growing up, right? Where we shared cars and insurance and all that. So that's what we told the kids that they we they were welcome to drive when they could pay for driver's ed and when when they had a car and they could pay for their own insurance which also meant they would probably need a job right to make all that happen when that happened for our kids then that's when they got to drive and two of them actually went to job corps and learned how to drive and one of them was has been able to go on and get a job and get a car for himself and one of them hasn't and our kids by birth are now entering the driving years and we have a son who's 
really capable of doing all of those things, but is kind of like, looks like a lazy teenager right now. And so he got as far as getting his learners and he's done driving hours, uh, but hasn't taken driver's ed and can't buy a car and doesn't have any insurance. So he's not driving at 17. Unfortunately, that does leave some weight on you. That's one of these things where we have to set the standards and the policies we want. And sometimes it means it makes our lives just a little bit harder. I know. And we have to drive so far to get anywhere, but I'm choosing in my Enneagram 7, find the silver lining to think this is just time that I get to spend with my kids in the car that I might not have in two years. So I'm trying to enjoy it while it lasts. You know, that's a good perspective. I I do appreciate that about you sevens. You can always make things seem good, right? (laughs) Well, another thing we wanted to bring up in this conversation is that um, sometimes we have to increase structure to set some of these boundaries in place, but we always have to remember that whenever we go higher on structure, we also need to go higher on nurture because we always want them to be balanced. You know, uh, Dr. Purvis used to say that it's like walking. You have one foot is structure, one foot is nurture, and you need both in order to move forward. And so we had an interesting conversation recently in the village, actually, about especially older kids and how do we increase nurture for older kids? Because our older kids need a fair amount of structure, you know, around how we expect them to live and be in school and relationships and all those kinds of things. But how do we give nurture to these older kids? And so obviously we won't go into a long conversation about that right now, but I think it's important with older kids to be thinking about what they would experience as nurturing, you know, so think about your own child. And if you're trying to navigate these complex things with kids who may feel like things aren't fair I would be thinking about, okay, how can I show nurture and love for the child, especially the one who's struggling the most? And every kid's going to be different. You know, some kids will really experience more nurture when you cook food for them, or other kids are going to love it if you buy them a small gift. And like, my guys love gum. I can buy them a big pack of gum and they feel like I've really given them something something good. Um, Other kids are going to feel nurtured if you have a show that you watch together and it's kind of a bonding thing and you sit near each other. So anyhow, as you're placing this structure in place, just be sure that you're also increasing nurture in a way that they experience as nurturing, not in a way that is irritating to them. Yeah, it's so hard, such a hard balance. But I think that's a good thing. If we think about like every time we have to say a no because of you know, safety concerns or dismaturity concerns because a sibling gets to do something, you know, maybe we can balance it out with a, yes, a special thing, understanding how hard it is to not be able to do the thing that they want. And and there's a fine line between that and kind of placating our kids, right. You Mm -hmm. know, feeling like we have to kind of always play this transactional game, but I think use your intuition. We, we believe in you guys and we know you can do it. Uh, Also, you know, if at all possible, bring in a third party to kind of help navigate this. We have pawned off a lot of these conversations on our therapist over the years where she was the one to explain why something needed to be one way or another. And our kids always heard it better from her. In the case of having kids by foster care, there may be some things that you might actually not legally be able to allow them to do, which again, also uh, kind of, you can throw somebody else under the bus for that decision. (laughs) Yes. Well, I hope that we covered what our listener was hoping we would. Um, This has been an interesting conversation. So if you have a question you'd like us to answer for a mentor moment, 
post it in our Facebook group with the with hashtag mentor moment in the post and we will see it there and you can do that at the adoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.